Hello, and welcome to From Our Perspective to Therapist Moms and a Mic. I'm Claudia Glassman. And I am Katie Truax. And today we are with a guest speaker or a guest, I don't know, joiner, whatever you call it. <laughs> a guest conversation. A guest, period. <laughs> um, who is a friend and colleague of mine here um, in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, on the Panhandle. Um, Amy Cooper. So Amy, um, would you introduce yourself kind of, you can do it however you want to introduce kind of who you are personally and professionally. Okay. So thank you for asking me to be on your podcast. Um, first of all, I'm a very grateful mother. You know, I have two daughters, um, that are adults now they adult. So, uh, that transition of being hovering to letting go has been a transition. Um, I guess for me, um, my identity, um, I am a woman in recovery, very grateful for that. Um, I'm also decided when I got sober that I wanted to make a difference. So I went back to school, um, got my counseling degree, and I am um, a board certified addiction counselor. Um, I also deal with also certifications in recovery coaching. Um, I deal with food. I deal with sex. I deal with gambling. I also do family systems that surrounds um, loved ones who struggle with addiction, you know, whether it be alcoholism, whether it be drug addiction. Um, so bringing back the family is very important because I believe, you know, I don't want to say part of the problem, but I want families to switch to be part of the solution. Yeah. Um, and then also I do mental health and um, addiction, whether it be pro whether it be processed addictions, behavioral addictions, or actually physical addictions, your drug addictions, um, interventions. So um, but yeah, but first and foremost, I'm a very grateful recovering mom from substance abuse, alcohol, cocaine, um, had men and, uh, everything else. How about that? The whole shebang, <laughs> anything I could get my hands on it, you know, unfortunately, um, in the latter part of my addiction, the disease. So just, I'm very grateful, you know, I'm grateful. I get to be a mom and be present in my girls' lives. Absolutely. I love that. And Amy, how long have you been, um, in recovery and doing the work that you're doing, helping other people? Um, I am celebrating March of 2023. I'm celebrating 13 years of recovery and I've been doing, uh, working with others right at nine years. I love it. That's so cool. Yeah. And What's I always that? love to hear you talk about everything that you work with, because I feel like even though we work out of the same office, like I forget sometimes how extensive the scope of what you do is. So I always love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I, you know, I think something for coming up for 2023 is a piece that I would had the opportunity to write almost two years ago. It's legal support uh, while you're pursuing your recovery. And I finished up my undergraduate in criminal justice and now did um, a lot of work. So it's um, criminal justice addiction counseling. So where I can come in and work with those who are repeat DUI offenders. They've gotten charges for drug paraphernalia, right? Because uh, drugs and alcohol are always just a symptom of what's really going on. And, and especially those who are just repetitive in the courts, they've never addressed the true underlying issues. So 
I'm really excited about that piece um, that I'm able to offer coming up too. So yeah, that's really cool. That seems like a real niche that that is probably in a lot of demand. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. So here we are, you know, we're, we're recording this. It is today is December 21st. So we are in the thick of Christmas Hanukkah season. And um, this is a time where I feel like addiction is a very present issue. Um, there's so much happening around this time of year, right? People are facing financial issues in a very real and salient way. People are um, preparing for or are already interacting with family that maybe <laughs> some attempts those interactions might not be easy or healthy. Um, people are just dealing with a lot of stress regardless of anything else. You know, you take a, a, a normal stressful life, right? Like let's imagine that one is a mother, right? Because we all are and are maybe works outside of the home as well, like the three of us do. And then you layer on top, like, oh, I have to bake Christmas cookies and I have to shop for presents and I have to ship things and I have to mail things and I have to do things like um, make sure Santa's been contacted and that the elves are okay and <laughs> that travel plans are arranged. And I, I mean, it can push anybody kind of over the edge. And not only that, but people are getting together in gatherings. I mean, I had, I've had two clients this season kind of face up to mental health clients, people who have come to me for things totally unrelated to substance use, but kind of chewing on the idea of maybe I have a problem. Um, Christmas is a season of partying, right? And, um, um, gatherings and drinking and festivities and specialty cocktails and you know so there's so much I feel like right now that is ripe to be a trigger for people who either have normative drinking to take things over the edge or you know I guess any substance use too um, or people who don't have normative drinking right and where it's kind of there's a big light being shown on that um both for oneself and then perhaps kind of as we interact with extended family, colleagues, coworkers at Christmas parties and so forth and so on. So um, Amy, like what do you see around this time of year? Is there an uptick from your perspective and people who either like have struggles with substance use or are at the very least kind of facing that this time of year? Or maybe do things just get really bad and then they start facing things after the first of the year well, what's your experience yeah no I see I see a rush of oh my god there's something wrong the holidays are here there's something wrong something wrong's already been wrong so you know our mental health is exacerbated by stress especially when it's untreated um, addiction and alcoholism are part of mental health mm -hmm. and so when we already are um, using or more so not just using, but abusing substances, right. Or turning to them to self-medicate, you know, oh my God, my kids are coming home from college and it's going to be a crap shoot. So let me just order two cases of wine instead of one. 
Um, because a lot of, you know, addiction falls into the fact that we numb, we emotionally numb because we don't want to feel holidays also are stressful because maybe we've lost a loved one this year. Um, you know, and how do we cope and normal coping skills, you know, for normal people as people in recovery say normies, um, which I don't understand that because I don't think anybody's normal. Um, that's just a setting on the dryer. So for me, you know, I see it definitely it's exacerbated. I mean, they're like, I don't even know what I'm going to do, or they've already said, okay, can I, it rises and then it drops. And then the first of the year, you know, whoever made made a mess of the holidays, either their families are calling me or they're calling me because their families are like so mad at them. Um, or, you know, the client is saying, Hey, listen, or, you know, I found too, that people stop coming in at Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden at January, they're like, when can I see you? Because they give themselves permission to take a break. And unfortunately, when they take that break, you know, every time we go back out, um, and it gets harder on our bodies, right? Not just our mental health, but it's physically harming to us because, you know, we stay sober and then we give ourselves permission because of the holidays, because that's our only coping mechanism to deal with family, dysfunctional families, right? Or to deal with stress or to deal with, you know, unresolved emotional pain. And so we give ourselves permission that it's okay. And then, you know, the holidays are over and then it's even worse coming, you know, trying to get back up because every time we relapse, you know, it's harder to come back mm -hmm. and it's just harder on our bodies. So I think, especially now it's the holidays, you know, those who are struggling, you know, there's a lot of resources out there that are free. There's um, AA, there's NA, right? There's, um, there's also Celebrate Recovery, which is a faith-based um, program that's, you know, an eight-step program. There's also Smart Recovery, which has been around for 25 years. It's really gained a lot of momentum in the past 10. Most of people uh, can find those meetings online. It's a different approach because some people are not just really prepared to do the spiritual AA or NA program you know, smart recovery, science driven. And it's also led with CBT, CBT therapy. So you find a big difference. Usually the meetings are actually, um, they're facilitated by a therapist or someone, a therapist in training. So it's a different approach. There's also, you know, sober, there's also sober transport, sober companions for the holiday season. I mean, I know Christmas is here, but even for New Year's, that's another service that um, Pursuit of Recovery can, you know, provide is going to those events. I mean, you know, people get so nervous about going to an event and there's alcohol and what am I going to do when they ask me, do you want to drink? I'm just not drinking. You know, you don't have to say, you don't have to give them you know, a long version of how you're, you're working to get sober and you're in recovery. You just have to say, I'm not drinking right now. It's not, you know, productive and conducive to my mental and physical health. I've decided to take a break. That's all you have to say. Also another, if you'll see a lot of, and you'll see them on Instagram and all of social media is people are coming up with mocktail recipes, right? You don't have to feel like you're out of the loop. If you go to a Christmas party, you know, you can just say, Hey, I'd like, cranberry juice with a splash of seven up Sprite, you know, ginger ale. Um, you don't have to make it such a big deal. 
of the fact that you're not drinking, you know, and also I would definitely, if someone's, you know, overdone it this holiday season, I would definitely, definitely encourage self-care. You know, there's IV therapy, there's vitamins. I know that functional wellness, right? Functional health, Katie, and, you know, going by after the holidays and going by to talk to a functional wellness, you know, doctor and saying, hey, listen, I drank too much and I need to work on making me feel better, right? Because if we're feeling crappy physically, what do you think we're doing and feeling emotionally and mentally, right? Wow. So it's, it's not just about the drinking. It affects, you're right, it's our mental health. I mean... Because that fog on the brain sets in mm-hmm. and um, it affects us. Yeah. And to your point, right, it's like um, a domino effect because like you said, the substance abuse isn't the problem. It's a symptom of the problem, right? That typically is either relationship-based or mental health-based, lack of coping skills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the overuse creates more mental and emotional distress, right? Like the shame and the guilt, you mentioned the family being mad at, at people, right? Feelings of, oh, I ruined that holiday, right? Or remember that holiday, right? Or, oh, we ruined my child's memories or my husband's memories or my mother's memories and all the guilt and shame that sets in, not to mention questioning um, that stigma around, do I have a, a problem? So, how does one recognize, right? Like, how does one know what's the difference between, like you mentioned, normative drinking or alcohol use, and let's just use alcohol because it's easy to just to kind of use that one word. Um, but th- I'm sure this could apply for any substance use or really any any addiction at all, right? I mean, to your point, even process addictions could ramp up at this time of year as a maladaptive coping skill. But, um, you know, what's the difference between normative use versus abuse or addiction? That's a great question. So am I abusing substances? Okay. Um, There's some questions that you can ask yourself. How, how do I get by during the day? Am I running late for work? Am I, you know, what is my attitude towards, am I sleeping at night? Okay. That in itself, I mean, um, addiction affects our sleeping. So what is my mood? How is it affecting my relationships and those around me? How is it, is it actually, is it affecting um, my working, my work skills? Is it affecting my friendships? Um, is it affecting my bank account? That's mm-hmm. a huge, you know, I mean, cause I'm going to be real honest with you. You know, my drug of choice was cocaine and alcohol. And, you know, when I got paid, I went and instead of paying my bills, I went and got my drugs, right? So, you know, what does my bank account look like? Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, you know, um, for women and men, what am I doing? What values did I have? Because we all have a core value system, but what values did I have that were affected because of my drug or alcohol abuse this past weekend, right? Did, did, did I attend the company Christmas party and did I get questioned by the boss? You know, it's our relationships. It's the people, places, and things in our life that are not on balance. They're not like this. They're like the roller coaster. And so those questions of, you know, relationships and friendship, family, and work, 
you're going to see a difference. You're going to see a difference in your financial life, right? I mean, because addiction's progressive if it's untreated. So yeah. if any of these things are off balance and it's been like this, mm-hmm. you may just want to say, hey, may- maybe maybe I have a problem or, you know, maybe I'd like to explore what that looks like. And, you know, that part of that too, I think is a, something to really understand is that going to see somebody doesn't mean they're putting you into detox and treatment, right? I mean, that's a big fear for people. I can't, I, you know, admitting or even thinking maybe I have a problem. There's a big fear of being locked down, you know, and um, that's just not the case any, anymore. You know, you can be, do I have a problem? And, you know, figure it out with someone qualified to be able to help you figure it out. I mean, and it's not about locking them down. It's about meeting, especially when I work with people, meet them right where they're at and let them ask themselves the questions. And I do that. I'm like, did it affect your family? What relationships are affected by your drinking or drug use? What relationships work, family, kids? What's your bank account look like? <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that broad definition because, you know, I think we have somehow been told a story that you have to have this like severe crisis moment to recognize, right? Right. This idea of rock bottom and what that is. And I know a lot of people in recovery that didn't hit what we would traditionally know as rock bottom, right? There was an awareness before they completely, (laughs) you know, drove themselves into a wall that like, this is causing chaos, right? And it's repairable chaos for right now. But kind of that point of like, I'm I'm not upholding my values. Like I'm doing things I didn't think I would do or saying things I didn't think I would say. And my relationships are strained. And and I, I know a lot of times in my work with people, there's a questioning of it, right? But it's not bad enough yet. But what does that mean, right? This idea of like a functioning addict, right? Like, they didn't lose their job. They didn't, right? Like they're still married. Their kids are maybe somewhat still in the dark, although I would argue maybe they notice more than one would think, right? But this idea that like, well, I'm still holding it all together so it can't be a problem. Yeah, that is, that. I find that. So when I work with families and the process of intervention, which brings up what you're talking, what you're talking about is an emotional bottom. So yeah interventions, when I work with families, you think of two mountain tops, right? Here's a mountain and here's a mountain. And this is the family and they are very concerned about their loved one, right? It's, and saying, listen, these are, this is what I'm noticing. And, and they bring it very lovingly and compassionately, compassionately. Like the husband says, I think you're drinking too much, or this is a problem, or your boss comes to you and and makes a point. Are you even, like you said, you're finding out relationships are just suffering, So this is a family um, Mm self-intervention. Over here, this mountaintop is society's interventions. And society's intervention is jails, prisons, institutions, and death. So there's two. Society's intervention is coming. If you're in active addiction, it's coming. You know, maybe not in the timing that you would think, but it's coming. So your self-reflected intervention comes with meeting with a therapist, your self-reflected intervention comes with a family. Well, down in the valley is what I call the emotional bottom. And that's where I want people to hit because when you experience an emotional bottom, 
change is more valuable, okay, than that physical bottom. Because that physical bottom is jails, institutions, prisons, unfortunately, death. You know, it's job loss. It's family loss. So that emotional bottom is where the thinking can really happen. That's where the magic happens when someone hits an emotional bottom. They don't, you're right. They don't have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Because rock bottom is, you know, rock bottom is bad. So you want them to hit that emotional bottom. You know, that's why the questions are asked and it's with love and compassion and, and, you know, they call it, you know, sober curious. I mean, if you're curious, if you have a problem, you probably do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you probably do. So we are in the holiday time and it is a challenge. And I know, you know, in working with people in recovery and friends in recovery, there is so much, um, normalized, maybe even glorified substance use in our society, right? Like events have, you know, substances tied to them, holidays, like any celebration, um, you know, I think for everyone new in recovery, there is a discomfort of getting over that hump, right. Of being the person at the holiday party at the, you know, office party, who's not drinking. Right. And everyone may be noticing that first time, because this is new, especially if you were the one who, um, maybe took it too far in, in recent years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember times I didn't drink right for women this year's lot. Like you just don't feel like drinking or you're not in the mood. And it's like, are you pregnant? No, I'm just choosing not to in this moment, like, right. How do you, what are some strategies to kind of support people through, especially that like awkward first step, right. Of, of arming yourself with some tool to use in that moment. Yeah. So first and foremost, you don't have to go to the party if you have got that much anxiety. Okay. You, you don't. Okay. But if it's something that you have to do, then like I was sharing before, there's meetings, there's meetings in everyone's area. There's AA, there's NA. There's also a movement that I'm part of. She recovers. Okay. And it's for women and women only. They have a Facebook page. They, we have like Christmas Eve all the way through Christmas day, there's support group zoom meetings throughout the day. And she recovers in a, is a nonprofit foundation and it's amazing. It's led by a mother and daughter team but they are all about supporting women. And it's not about just the alcohol and the drugs. It's about trauma. You know, it's about behavior change, et cetera. But that move, there's a lot of movements besides that one that you can find online. You can Google women's support groups during the holidays, right? And it will come up. It's also, you know, reaching out and finding a recovery coach, having that lifeline of saying, hey, what do I do? It's about you know, taking a friend. Can I take a friend to my, you know, office Christmas party? Uh, can I bring my spouse? Obviously your spouse knows that, you know, you've made a decision not to drink. So if that spouse can be part of your safety net, I don't, I never tell, you know, people who are trying to get or working on their own recovery. We don't lean on our family as our only safety net, right? We bring in our, our good friends. We find sponsors at meetings. We talk to recovery coaches, but you know, have that safety net in place. And also you're, you don't have to stay the whole time at the party. If it's a mandatory that you go, you can go, you can make an appearance. You can, you know, ask for that mocktail and mingle and leave. You don't have to feel like 
you know, that uncomfortable because anxiety comes from getting sober, yeah. right? Because we emotionally numbed. Like I had a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. I am a true introvert, which some people are like, what? But I am, you know, I do better in small groups, you know? So when I first got sober, it was hard. My anxiety was out the roof. And so there's a lot of times I didn't go to functions, right? I just went to a meeting Mm -hmm. or I, you know, so there's a lot of, I don't want people to feel like, oh my God, I got to go to this. No, you really don't. You can say no, but if you have to go take a friend, take a loved one that knows you're in recovery, get to a meeting before, go to a meeting after, you know, there's just a lot of support out there. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about families and kind of you know, I sometimes hear a lot from the other side where I work with clients who are concerned about their partner's substance use Mm -hmm. and they really struggle with how to lovingly address it because, you know, there can be a defensiveness, right? Or, I mean, you know, nobody wants to hear, (laughs) hear that they have a problem. So what are your recommendations on family members and how to navigate addressing someone's substance use that they may feel is concerning or going to I want to add one other piece to that too, because I was thinking of, of the same thing and wondering also kind of, you know, again, I feel like, um, tis the season, right. And I feel like, you know, again, most of my clients are mental health clients, not substance abuse. Amy, I send them to you more than often than not. And so I hear sometimes people who struggle with their own experience, but more often people struggling with that of others. Um, and wondering this question of, okay, so again, what is normative? What is like, ooh, we're partying here, right? And we're going to maybe indulge a bit more, right? And the same way you might say, I'm going to have a cookie where normally I don't eat cookies, right? Or I'm going to have a glass of champagne or I'm going to, I'm going to have another glass of wine because it is Christmas Eve or because it's this party, right? And and how much of that is like, ooh, this is kind of fun. I get to indulge because I'm celebrating. It is the season. And how much as we go into these family functions or, you know, even functions where we're not as connected or in any way responsible, but just noticing others' behaviors, right? Like you said, work functions, friends, social functions, right? When does it look like, okay, this is probably like beyond, right? Where we would think I'm concerned about someone. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, when families call me and they say, oh my God, I think my loved one has a problem you know, and um, we want to address it. Okay. What have you done? Nothing. (laughs) Okay. So let's start from square one. Um, Families have, like you shared the word maladaptive. We have maladaptive coping skills because we are walking on eggshells more times than not around our loved one. And we're so fearful, you know, of our own rejection from that loved one. First of all, you can't love your loved one sober second of all you didn't cause them to continue to emotionally numb you may have been part of a problem that instigated you know wanting to numb but you did not in general cause it Uh, third of all you can't cure it you know we can't love someone sober we can't cure it 
Um, and believe it or not, the cause may, you may have been part of the cause, but you're not, you know, you're not the true reason. And so, you know, the one thing that families do have is control over their communication with their loved one. And that's where you bring in a professional. I'm going to, when you have tried to have that conversation with your loved one and you have tried, you know, you've been walking on eggshells, what happens is you become into, you know, a basically codependent behavior with your loved one. Uh, you're walking on eggshells with your loved one and you're also enabling them. You are denying them the dignity to figure it out. And you're dis, you're enabling your loved one and not, not saying anything is enabling, you know, you are, and you're enabling is disabling your loved one to get sober and healthy because you're unwilling to do the work. You know, families either hate me or they love me because I am a no nonsense when I work with families and we sit down at the table. I'm like, what are you doing for your loved one? If I'm talking to a parent, parents that have the 35 year old living in their basement, not working, playing video games all day and ordering Grubhub or Uber Eats on their credit card, there's a problem. Um, if I'm working with a husband who, whether they have children that are small or grown, okay, and he's out buying the wine so he has peace in the house for his wife who passes out and he's working all day and then has to pick up all the pieces with the kids and everything else. I mean, he's working 48 hours in a 24-hour spin. There's a problem, you know, same flip on the wife's side, right? You know, I mean, we as human beings are, it seems like we are so fearful of talking about the truth. And a lot of times we're fearful of talking about the truth with our loved ones because you know what we have a behavior pattern with that person of codependency meaning they you know if I'm fearful of talking to somebody about their drinking or drugging I have a role in their life in some form or fashion that I'm needed in their life right because if I'm not speaking about their alcoholism or their drug addiction I'm fearful there is a fear in me. Now, where does that fear come from? That's what you have to look at, right? That's why family systems is so important in recovery because I want families to not be part of the problem. I want them to be part of the solution. And the first step is admitting I'm powerless over my loved one, but I want to get my loved one help. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? So, you know, that's why Al-Anon, Al-Anon, Naranon, Pals, NAMI, you know, um, Families Anonymous, Smart Recovery has a component. There's just, I can't tell you enough how many resources are out there besides, you know, a therapist working is you have to identify. First thing is what is my role in my loved one's life? And why am I fearful of having that conversation? And that is the first question you have to ask yourself. Well, why the hell are you walking on eggshells around your husband or wife, Right. There comes, like you said, there's maladaptive coping skills. So you have to say, okay, what is my role? And why am I fearful of my role in their life being taken away? Because I need to be needed. Mm -hmm. You know, especially wives of, you know, wives of alcoholic husbands. What did they, what, what happened when they were younger? What was their childhood like, right? Did they grow up with an alcoholic father? Did they grow up with a mother who swept everything under the rug, right? I mean, it, I tell people, take all the rugs out of your house. We've got, we stay, that 
we're only as sick as our secrets and there's secrets that are surrounding this addiction and families are so scared. And my job is to come in and help them to be unscared. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge, right? There's so much like shame and blame on from the family's perspective, from the person who might be struggling. I think there's a need to move through that, right? And just accept that that may be your experience, but there's, you know, you can move through it. And I think people do. And that's why, you know, the friends I have that are in recovery, the clients I have are so proud, right? Like it's like they will tell anyone because they've moved through feeling embarrassed and they moved through shame and guilt, right? And kind of came out on the other side and now really wear it with pride. Like, and it, you know, have no embarrassment about saying this is my story, right? This is where I was and this is where I am now. The shame, the guilt, the embarrassment of the things they may have done during that time or even just having the struggle really does melt away during the recovery process. And I think it's kind of that self-exploration. But I always want people to know, like, you won't feel that discomfort forever, right? Like, yeah, you you kind of move through it and reconcile all those feelings. And, um, you know, I think it's people, it's hard for people to see the other side. When yeah, because we're... It, you know, but yeah, but there is, but which is why some of these, you know, like AA and all these like recovery groups are great because you get the mix of people in different phases, right? You get the person who's there for their first meeting and terrified, and you've got the person who's, you know, been sober for 30 years all in one place. So you get to see that journey, right? You can see the glimpses of the different stages. Um, but I, I do think it's so important to highlight that like, while those feelings are very valid, they are not where you will always sit, right? That you move through that. Yeah. And we're a society of instant gratification. We want everything yesterday. Yeah. And what we have to realize with addiction is none of us got here overnight and none of us are going to be right overnight. You know, it's a process. It's yeah. about progress, never perfectionism. Right. And we want everything yesterday and it's a process. Rome wasn't built in a day. We didn't become addicts and alcoholics in a day. We did not become codependent family members in a day. Um, and so we have to just give, give your grace. That's the word. We have to give ourselves grace and realize it's a process. And it's not even one day at a time. It's sometimes 15 minutes at a time. Right. Yeah. Never. And this idea that, you know, there's more to our journey than this one moment, right? There's a reason we didn't have the coping skills or we cope this way, or we partnered with someone, <laughs> you know, yeah. who was struggling in this way. And it's not a, it doesn't come from a blaming standpoint, right? But more of an understanding. I now understand why I made certain choices. And now with that understanding, I can implement tools, implement skills, make different choices, right? It's more about growth, not about, making someone feel bad that they got there, right? Just really understanding. I mean, this is true for therapy in general, right? This understanding how we work, why we tick, why we have certain triggers, why we cope a certain way or don't cope another way or, you know, how we relate to people and really deep diving into that so that going forward, you can see the whole picture and make decisions that better fit who you are and, and who you want to be and where you want to go. Absolutely. So you know, I, I know, and Claudia, I'd be curious to hear if it feels different for you, but um, in Florida here, 
medicinal marijuana use is now legal and has been for some time. Mm-hmm. And in our area, at least, it's it feels to me as a mental health clinician that more of my clients than not now have their marijuana card. Um, I might even hazard to say 85 to 90%. And it's always interesting to me how that unfolds in sessions. Some come right out first session, you know, when I ask about like on the, the intake paperwork, right? What are, what vitamins and, and um, medicines and supplements are you taking, right? Some people are very open and say like, oh, I have my medicinal marijuana card and I use it this way, fill in the blank, right? And then for others, it's very, it's very slow kind of unfolding, almost like they test the waters to see if how I might respond or if we can build that trust bond because I think there is still a little bit of a stigma but the other thing that I'm seeing which is really interesting to me is that I'm seeing a trend where people are glorifying the use of marijuana as a substitution for alcohol use whereas someone might come home from the office and have a cocktail at the end of the day now it is I'm going to come home and um, and there's many forms this takes, right? But more often what I hear is either smoke marijuana or use, um, Amy, tell me, it's like a pen with a cartridge. And the dab, yeah, there's dabs. <clears throat> there's a vape pen that has the, you know, the, it has the THC and the CBD. It's, um, there's also the gummies. Um, yeah. And it- surprise for people and I'm, I'm just curious around that right around you know is there anything that concerns you about that does that feel like a good shift in our society to you um because you know I, I we're all kind of around the same age ish and you know when I grew up it wasn't this way right it was very much like um you know smoking pot's bad <laughs> right was how I was raised and now it feels very different, very normative. And again, almost even celebrated as, you know, for the benefits and the benefits both in contrast to the risk, which seems to be completely overlooked in a way that it was not when I was growing up and, um, benefits as compared to choosing a different form of substance. Right. Um, Amy, what are your thoughts and experience with that? So these are my thoughts, you know, and so I would much rather a client um, be using marijuana than alcohol. Alcohol and the physical effects are so much far worse, right? And, you know, when working with somebody, I meet them where they're at, right? Um, I don't try to take away everything. I'd rather someone be smoking marijuana and taking gummies and having a vape pen with their medical marijuana card, then shooting dope, then drinking alcohol, you know, then overdosing on street pills that they're purchasing because they can't get their pain medication. You know, I've worked with people that are on pain. They are on, you know, the treatment where they were taking the pain pills. They were buying them off the streets and their doctor worked with them, you know, as a medical professional and said, let's try marijuana. Do I agree with it? Am I just like, I'm knocking it all out a hundred percent? I can't because, you know, when I work with people and I see that they're now no longer buying 
um, Percocets, most, you know, buying them off the streets with the risk of overdosing because they're laced with fentanyl or they're not blackout drinking any longer. You know, I have to see that as an improvement. Um, do I, do I want to, you know, see them be off the marijuana eventually? Oh my God. Yes. But I also know that they were on far worse. So they're making these strides. They're not babies. I mean, they've made strides, right? They're, they've made strides from the alcohol and from the pills that they're buying off the streets to marijuana. Again, do I agree with it? Not really. But I also know that they're also made, they've made improvements and hopefully and prayerfully, you know, working and working on the things that need to be worked on professionally, emotionally, and mentally, they'll get to the point where they don't need that either. But, you know, that, I don't know if that helps. I don't know. Probably people disagree with me and, but that's my thoughts on it. Well, and it's a very controversial topic and I love that you're able and willing to share your opinion, right? Because at the end of the day, we get to do that, right? As clinicians. Claudia, do you see this in, in Georgia as much as we see this here in so Florida? We do not have medicinal marijuana. No, but you know, I lived in Florida. I have friends in Florida. Um, so I, I know how many people are uh, card carrying <laughs> and I know, you know, yeah. So um, we don't have medicinal marijuana. I think the city of Atlanta and some of the surrounding city cities have decriminalized marijuana so still illegal, but if you get caught with it, not a problem. So it's interesting because everywhere I go, I smell it and I'm like, God, like what happened? And then I realized it was decriminalized. Um, so we don't necessarily have that. I do think, you know, the, like I say, I smell it in a lot of areas, uh, like I'll be driving and I smell it in my car. I, I don't know where it's coming from someone's car. Right. Um, so there's definitely been an uptick of it. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think, we medicate in a lot of different ways. And part of me wonders, is the medical marijuana any different than going to a psychiatrist and getting that cocktail? Right. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and not that psychiatry doesn't have a benefit, but people can seek pills from their psychiatrist too that they may or may not actually need or from their medical doctor that they may or may not actually need, right? You can, you know, people have gone to the doctor and like, I'm a little nervous. Oh, let me just write you some Lexapro. Let me just give you this. Let me give you that. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, and they're not necessarily trained in mental health, right? There's like your general practitioner who's like, well, I know something that can work. I don't know if the medical marijuana is that different from that, mm -hmm. from pill seeking in different ways. And now you can break down like, are these, you know, pharm psychopharmaceuticals habit forming, right? What do they do to our body chemistry and our ability to, to produce certain hormones naturally? I don't know, right? We can go in the science of that. So I don't know if it's that different because yeah. masking symptoms is masking symptoms and whether you do it legally, illegally, right? Create, you know, like it still potentially could be problematic, right? People go to their medical practitioners to pill seek all the time. They're getting yeah. it legally. Yeah. Which Maybe they've got 10 different doctors they're working with, right? And, and, but so I don't know. I, I'm kind of on board too, right? If there's progress being made. 
And it's yeah. not impacting your life in the same detrimental way it may have been before, then maybe that is a step forward. I just don't think it's so black and white, so cut and dry. And I think yeah. the process of sobriety, uh, uh, it's not always linear. You're right. Um, yeah. You can replace one addiction for another, right? So maybe I stopped drinking, but now I'm shopping or you know, using sex or, you know, we can kind of dive into all the forms of addiction. You know, I think most people would say, well, at least, you know, your shopping addiction isn't hurting your health, right? Might be hurting my bank account, but there's all kinds of ways we, we find to sue that are maladaptive. And I think it's not uncommon to replace one with another that might be less harmful, right? And hopefully kind of then we work through that. I think the key is to do the work to figure out what's underneath it all and, and what is, what's driving our need for this. Yeah. Bonnie, that's a, a good point that maybe depending on what the primary focus is, right? The answer might be different. If the primary focus is physiological, right? Amy, you said, well, marijuana has a lot less detrimental effects on the body than excessive alcohol use, right? So thumbs up to that or versus if it is like a okay well the goal is to be able to self-soothe or to um you know cope without substances at all or maybe to be sober quote unquote right then we might be looking in a different direction um and so i love that and that you know again Claudia and I say we didn't solve the problem but like there's no one size fits all for everybody and different people are going to have different goals for their lives and I think that that's kind of one of the beautiful things Amy that I heard you say about or speak to a moment ago is like okay just because you begin this exploration doesn't mean you're going to get carted off in padded handcuffs to some place that's going to strip you down and make you you know get sober right um that this could be a process and a collaborative process with a supportive professional, you know, or to your point, you know, starting with supportive loved ones, ideally we could find loved ones, whether it's friends or family who might be on a similar same journey of personal growth and healing, right? Because we kind of always want to try to reach up rather than down to, to normalize our, our behavior and try to be our best selves, right? Um, and then finding a path that feels like it fits for each individual person. What's going to be that the right solution for, for you? Yeah. And so, and I will say this for any, you know, cause I know your listeners, I'm not condoning marijuana use, but I'm not disowning it either. I mean, I want to be in front of people who are wanting to get the help they deserve, not not about needing it. It's they everyone deserves the opportunity to experience recovery. And like I said, my prayer is that they won't need anything, right? But meeting them where they're at, I think gives them the more incentive to say, okay, let me, let me entertain and talk to someone, yeah. right? So I don't condone it, but I can't disown it. I love it. All yeah. right, Amy, what hurting thoughts or words or advice that you might offer? And Claudia, what, did I just interrupt you? No, go ahead. No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you asked, okay, so it's holidays. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, it's the holiday season. I would definitely encourage you um, 
there is the power of prayer. You know, everybody prayerfully has a God of their own understanding, a higher power. You know, it seems to bring peace and serenity, believe it or not. I mean, the serenity prayer is a great piece. Um, there's meetings. Um, there's uh, my web. You can definitely, I'm available if you're, you know, struggling. There's also, you'll see on what AA has a website. NA has a website. She recovers. Like I said, they have a Facebook group. You can go on there. You can request to be in the page. You can listen to other women you know, who need support. And if you're looking for that support to make it through the holidays, you know, there's the dialect of, you know, I'm not drinking and then don't explain yourself. You don't have to, you know, um, there's mocktails, there's setting boundaries around what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. People, places, and things, none of those are worth the risk of relapse. Yeah. None of them. Well, thank you, Amy. That was great. Yeah. yeah. I think we could talk about this for a lot longer because I have a lot of thoughts swirling, but <laughs> no one wants like a 10 hour podcast. <laughs> Amy, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Yeah. So uh, my Instagram is pursuit of recove um, at pursuit of recove. Um, I am on LinkedIn, Amy Cooper, pursuit of recovery. I'm on Facebook. I have a page pursuit of recovery. Um, you can also find me on, uh, Robin Katie's website, um, and then pursuit of recovery.com. So, um, yeah, I'm, thank you. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be with you girls. Thanks. I do. It's exciting. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Um, I always love having guests because it just brings such a richness and different perspectives and different wisdom. So I'm so happy you could come with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you all happy holidays. Thank you. You too. Listening Again, um, you can find Claudia online, Instagram and Facebook at Mighty Oak Parenting. And I am half of Rob and Katie Truax also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Amy's more advanced with her social media, I think, than we are, but we are not on TikTok, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm working to stay cool. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And um, hopefully we'll have you back listening again next time. Bye. All right. Bye.